Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Let's, let's pray and ask the Lord to guide us together. Our gracious Father in heaven, come before your presence to, this morning to ask for your help. Your help in not only understanding your word, but applying it to our lives. Lord, we want to pray for those in our body who are facing difficult circumstances. Lord, as we we learned this week through the email that Charlotte is is facing this reality of of cancer. And Lord, we pray for her that you will strengthen her as she faces um, surgery. We ask that you would give her a, a sense of your presence in a way that is different than normal for her, that you will help her to walk this journey uh, above the clouds, Lord, with your your peace and your presence guiding her each step of the way. And God, that you will bring healing to her body through the surgeries, and and, uh, Lord, that she'll be able to walk through this journey and on the other side to to give praise to God that your hand was with her through the whole thing. Lord, I pray that Dick will be able to get off the ventilator tomorrow and that he will uh, steadily and quickly recover from this and be able to to come home soon. And uh, Lord, that he'll continue continue his his progress and uh, healing from all that he's been through over these past few years. And God, we pray for Paul as he's recovering from, from his heart attack and, and this uh, stint put in. Lord, we pray that you will give him strength and uh, raise him up quickly and be back on his feet and back to his normal activities uh, soon. Lord, we pray for others who maybe we are not aware of that are <clears throat> facing situations that are, that are disruptive in their life, that are causing difficulties beyond the norm, that you will meet them in the midst of that. And Father, thank you for hearing our prayers, for answering them in accord with your will. We certainly pray for our brothers and sisters around this world who are facing persecution because of their faith in Christ. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and in Russia who are who are facing the reality of, of all of this and uh, that you will keep them strong. And as worship services are going on right now all over the world, you will draw people to Christ. And you will be glorified through the, the hearts that are lifted up to you. And we commend this time into your hands. Several years ago, I I came across a a Peanuts cartoon. And in this cartoon, Lucy's talking to Charlie Brown, and she says to him, I hate everyone. I hate everything. I hate the whole wide world. Charlie Brown looks at her and says, well, I thought you told me you had inner peace. 
He said, I do have inner peace, but I still have outer obnoxiousness. I would imagine that many of us can appreciate where she's coming from. Right? With the, the world in which we live right now and the, and the particular personal circumstances that many of you find yourselves in. There's a lot going on. And uh, it's chaotic. And uh, it could be uh, something like a health concern, financial difficulties, relational problems, many other things going on in our individual lives that, that create chaos, a lack of peace. And so the question becomes, how do we experience God's peace in the midst of all these kinds of things? You'll recall last week as we began Philippians chapter 4, <clears throat> we see these two women... Eodia and Syntyche, who are at odds with one another. We don't know why. But we do know from what the Apostle Paul says that they were working together at one point, striving together in the advancement of the gospel, along with Paul and many others in the church of Philippi. But now there seems to be a problem between the two of them. Paul urges them, both of them, to work it out. He also asks others within the church to help them to work this thing out. To, to establish, once again, a unity and a harmony in their midst. And then right on the heels of speaking of that, we come to this text that we're looking at today, verses 4 through 9. And Paul is speaking about this peace of God. Now believe it in this text, we see that we can indeed experience the peace of God in our lives, no matter what's going on. So look, look at this with me. I'm going to read from verse 4 through verse 9 now. <clears throat> he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say, rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and of anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace shall be with you. We experience this, this peace that God provides in our lives, no matter what's going on. Now you might say, what does he mean by peace? This word peace can be defined different ways. And here are some, some things that some uh, commentators and those who write lexicons and dictionaries or biblical terms say about it. This peace is a state of untroubled, undisturbed well-being. It's a tranquility of the soul. One person said, release from tension. 
John MacArthur writes, confident trust in God's flawless wisdom and infinite power that provides calm amid the storms of life. We see in this text, first of all, the promise of the peace of God. In verse 7, particularly, it also references in verse at the end of verse 9 that the God of peace will be with you. He talks about this promise of God's peace. And then he gives us a description in verse 7 of what this peace is like. In fact, three different characteristics of this peace that I want to talk about today. The first is that God provides a profound peace. He says this is a peace which surpasses all comprehension. One person wrote this, not something mysterious or incomprehensible in its own right, but it is something which man cannot explain or explain away. Something which runs beyond the range of comprehension. It's not that we don't understand that we're experiencing peace. We just can't explain why we're experiencing peace. When everything else looks like we should be worrying, anxious, upset, we, we have this unexplainable peace in the middle of it. It's profound. Another person wrote, the real challenge of the Christian life is not to eliminate every unpleasant circumstance. It is to trust in the good purpose of an infinite, holy, sovereign, powerful God in every difficulty. Sometimes we think peace, the promise of peace, means that our circumstances will change. Well, our circumstances may not change. The promise of peace is the ability to experience peace in the midst of our difficult circumstances. It's a tremendous testimony to the world around us. Because we cannot logically explain why it is that we are, we are going through such hard things and yet are experiencing such incredible peace. Some of our brothers and sisters around the world, if you get Voice of the Martyrs magazine or you pay attention online to some of the things that are going on, you, you sit in amazement at how our brothers and sisters in places like Afghanistan and, and North Korea and, and many other places around the world where they're not permitted to talk about God. They're not permitted to have their own text of the Scripture. They're not permitted to sing and worship the Lord, and yet they continue to do so. In these places, knowing that if they get caught, they will be punished severely or even lose their life or their, their family will be removed from them and put into slavery or, or in a con concentration camp or all kinds of things that could happen to them. How is it that somebody in that kind of environment can continue to pursue relationship with Christ and be external about their worship and all of that, and, and take the chance of telling other people about Jesus, knowing that that person could tell on them and they could be in trouble. And yet, they could do this with a, a sense of peace. This is only by God's grace. This is only by God 
doing something profound in their lives. And what a testimony. Again, the reports that we're hearing, though there are not many because of the communication in, from Ukraine, is that our, our brothers and sisters continue to worship the Lord, continue to serve the Lord, continue to remain uh, there and minister to people around them in the church. And they're probably having worship service today in the midst of all that's going on. What an incredible testimony. They're, they're meeting in, with a sense of peace while the, while the war is going on all around them. What an incredible testimony. God provides this kind of profound peace. Second characteristic. It's a protective peace. It shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This peace protects us. Again, not necessarily from uh, experiencing difficulties, but it guards our hearts and our minds in the midst of it. Again, I appeal to, to John MacArthur when he writes, When realized in believers' lives, God's peace will guard them from anxiety, doubt, and worry. The word that's used here, translated will guard, is a military term used of soldiers on guard duty. The picture would have been familiar to the Philippians since the Romans stationed troops in Philippi to protect their interests in that part of the world. I think I mentioned to you a few weeks ago that, that Philippi was one of the uh, unique cities in the whole Roman uh, Empire that, that, that if you were a citizen of Philippi, you were a citizen of Rome. They, they had guards there, Roman soldiers guarding and protecting this place because of their interest there. He goes on to say, just as soldiers guard and protect the city, so God's peace guards and protects believers who confidently trust in Him. Paul uses the phrase hearts and minds. Not was not intended to imply a distinction necessary between the two, but was merely making a comprehensive reference to believers' inner peace, inner, inner person. Once again, Paul reminds his readers that true peace is not available through human source, but only in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> He guards our hearts and our minds. It's our hearts and our minds which where, where worry, anxiety, and fear reside. Circumstances can, can cause us to fear to the point where we become paralyzed. And can't move. We can't act. We can't think properly. We can't respond as God would have us to because the fear of what could potentially happen or what's going on around us paralyze us. This peace that God promises provides a guard against that. It guards our hearts and our minds so that we can walk this journey properly with a sense of God's presence in our lives. Then we can make good and wise decisions. Again, peace does not protect us from difficult circumstances, but protects our hearts and minds from worry and poor decisions in the midst of these difficult circumstances. I love the imagery, and particularly in the Psalms, talks about God being our shield right in our midst. What does a shield do for a soldier? 
It doesn't take him out of the barn. It keeps him in the barn. Protects them in the midst of the barn. When the enemy is shooting darts and arrows, the shield protects the warrior while they're in the battle. God's peace provides that kind of protection while we're in the battle. Keeping us there. Jesus, when He prayed in John 17, for His His disciples and then those who would come after Him, which includes you and I, what does He pray? Father, I do not ask that You take them out of the world, but that You keep them from the evil one. Keep them in the battle. Protect them while they're in the midst of the battle. God's peace, His promise of peace, is a protective peace. And thirdly, God provides a powerful peace. It is the peace of God. This is the only place in all the New Testament where the phrase peace of God is found. The word peace is found throughout, but the only time it's referenced as the peace of God. This is different from the peace with God. Peace with God is speaking about our relationship with God where in our sin, apart from Christ, we are enemies of God. We are at enmity with God. There is a, there is a problem that exists between us, sinful humanity, and holy God. Jesus Christ came to provide peace with God, to remove the enmity. And that's what He came and accomplished on the cross when He died in our place. He took our sin off of us and put it on Himself. And He experienced the wrath of a holy God against sin for you and I. And in doing so, He removed the enmity. He removed the problem that existed because He removed sin from us. And the penalty of sin. And then He provided for us His perfect righteousness placed on our account. So now when the Father, if we are in Christ by faith, He looks at us as as if we were Christ Himself. All His righteousness. That's incredible good news of the Gospel. That's peace with God. And we have it by faith in Jesus. Paul said, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1. This kind of peace is different from that. This is the peace that God provides for us as believers in the midst of difficulty that guards us, that that we can't completely understand or explain, but is powerful enough to hold us in the midst of all that we're going through. Comes from God because, as verse 9 says, He is the God of peace who is with us. God of peace is with us. There are two two places particularly I want to reference where we see the word, the the phrase God of peace. That tell us something about this peace, this God who is with us in the midst of our difficulties. Hebrews 13, verse 20. The writer of Hebrews says, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. He, he, he uses the term God of peace in reference to the power 
of resurrection. This God of peace is powerful enough to raise the dead. The same power is promised to us when He is with us. The same God is with us. Another reference, my, my favorite, is Romans 16.20. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The victory that comes through the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, under my feet. It speaks about this victory we have. Victory over the enemy who harasses us, who, who discourages us, who tempts us. The God of peace will be with you. <clears throat> the same God of peace who will soon crush Satan under your feet. This peace is powerful. It has the power not only to give us uh, an inner peace, but to work peace in our relationships with others. To, to allow us to walk the journey in the midst of chaos, but being people of peace. Again, a com one commentator kind of brings this together and says, we must be careful in stressing the inner effectiveness of this guardian peace, not to limit it to the realm of peaceful feelings. Now, there's a sense of being at peace. The New Testament idea of peace takes its origin from the Old Testament, where the word peace, or shalom, possesses the root meaning of wholeness. It is, to be sure, the inner wholeness of the fulfilled person, but it's also a relational word, including peace with God and peaceful integration within the society of God's people. He says, it would therefore be unnatural, an unnatural constriction of Paul's thinking <clears throat> to understand him as offering, say, to Iodi and Syntyche, a peace powerful enough to master anxiety, <clears throat> but impotent to mend their broken relationships. Or to imagine him inviting them to lay hold of God's strong peace only as an interior fortress and not also as an antidote to their ill feelings toward one another. Surely it is also in these outward areas of demonstrable effectiveness that the peace of God is to become apparent as the mark of the supernatural on our lives. See, this peace is powerful. It has the ability to do things that we cannot do on our own. To work reconciliation. Not only in our relationship with God because of our sin, but in our relationships with each other. I understand, again, as I said last week, relationships are complicated. And depending on the situation, it may not all depend on you. Even as Paul acknowledged in Romans 12, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. God gives us the ability to work toward peace in relationships. You may be thinking of a relationship right now and you say, there is no way in all the world this relationship could be mended. How big is our God? Now, it's possible that that other person doesn't want peace, doesn't, will not do what is required of them to bring that about. But God can work in you 
Nothing was in your heart. God can produce in us this kind of powerful peace that will bring that about. You, you, may, you may have experienced things like I have. As a teenager, there was a point where I had so much anger in my heart toward another individual who had, who had perpetrated things against me that I literally contemplated and, and pondered how I would kill them. Uh, I, I became so angry at, at moments that, that I, I literally, in my heart, committed murder. That's all gone. I can have a relationship with this person and never once think about any of that. God's peace is powerful. It can produce this in our hearts, in our lives. These, this promise of God's peace is surrounded by six commands, six imperatives. And I personally believe, and other commentators believe this as well, that this promise of God's peace is conditioned on you and I obeying the commands. There are some promises in Scripture that are unconditional. God says, I'm going to do this. And it doesn't matter what you do in response. This is my covenant, my commitment to you. There are others that are conditioned on our obedience. I believe this is one of them. We will not experience this peace of God unless we're willing to do our part in the process. What is our part? What is the preparation for the peace of God? I'm going to list the six for you today. We're not going to spend a lot of time thinking and talking about it. Oh, I'm going to give a little explanation. But for the next couple of weeks, we're going to dive in more deeply into these six commands. And what that means for us. It's important that we understand what our part is in this. God has laid out His promise. I will give you peace. It's a profound peace. It's a protective peace. And it's a powerful peace. But you have to do your part. That word and, at the beginning of verse 7, in the middle of verse 9, and the peace of God. Verse 9, and the God of peace. That connects with these commands. What are they? Number one, rejoice in the Lord. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a helpful thing. It's a command. Rejoice in the Lord. And just so you didn't get it, he repeats it. And again, I say, rejoice. Number two, let your forbearing spirit be known to all. That's a command. That it be known. These two are relational. Speak of our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. They're the preparation for the peace of God. There are requirements, pre prerequisites, if you will, for what, for experiencing God's peace. A third is be anxious for nothing. Command. <clears throat> and then the fourth goes right with it. 
Let your requests be made known to God. These are are, are, are prayerful commands, right? Be anxious for that. Don't let anxiety rule in your heart. Instead, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Talk to God about them. The fifth is found after the promise in verse 7, and that's verse 8. And that is that we need to let your mind dwell on the right things. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, of good repute, anything worthy of praise, excellent. These are the things that let your mind dwell on. That's the command. When we're in difficult circumstances and we let our minds dwell upon the problem that we're facing, we speculate about what could happen if this, this, and this goes on, what that's going to mean for me, what that's going to, how that's going to affect this. We're, we're, we're wandering and we're worrying about all the things that could happen. Whereas our mind, our mind's dwelling on the wrong things. So let your mind dwell on whatever is. The first thing is whatever is true. So important. To look at our situation and say, what do I know is true in this situation? Not what do I speculate could could potentially happen. What do I know is true? What do I know is honorable? What do I know is right? And it's interesting if you go just to Psalm 119, which which is a big psalm about the Word of God, you're going to find every one of these words is referenced about the Word of God. The Word of God is true, it's honorable, it's right, it's pure, it's lovely, it's of good repute, it's excellent, it's worthy of praise. And so, if we are dwelling on the Word of God instead of our problems, then we're dwelling on the right things. And then, six, practice what you know. He said, the things you've learned, received, heard, and seen, Paul says, in me. Again, remember he talked about being an example. He said, these things that you know, practice these things. That's the, that's the imperative. That's the command. Practice these things. When we do all this, the God of peace shall be with you. You see, God will do His part. But He calls us up to do ours. We have a part in this. It says we have a part in, in salvation, and that part is this. We respond in faith. He does all the work. He took the initiative to demonstrate love by sending Jesus to die for us. He took our sins, put it on Jesus, paid the price. And what He calls us to do is to respond with belief and faith. In this case, we have a bigger part, if you will. And that is to do what He's told us to do. We have a part to play. We can be assured God will do His part. The question is, will you and I do ours? Let me end with this. Some time ago, I read about a lady who was on an airplane. She got on the plane. She was headed for Cleveland. I have no idea why you want to go to Cleveland. But uh, I just feel it there, and I... Aversion to that message right now. She's on a plane, sitting on the runway, waiting for the 
everybody to get on. And she looks out the window across the aisle from where she was sitting to the other side of the plane, out the window, and it was facing toward the west. And there was a beautiful sunset. Brilliant orange and purple in the sky. And just a beautiful picture of God's creativity and God's peace. And she looked out the window on her side of the plane and the clouds were dark. The sky was black and it was was threatening a, a, a terrible storm. As she sat there, she reflected on how this is just the way life is. On one hand, you have the promise of God's peace and on the other hand, you've got the reality of storms. Both are true at the same time. Then she thought, well, no matter which one I focus on, this plane's still going to Cleveland. I'm going to get to Cleveland. You know, we think about it, for those of us who are in Christ, we're on a journey, and that journey's going home. It's going to heaven, and we're going to get to glory no matter what. This, this, this train, this plane is moving now, and we're going to get there one day because we're in Christ. We can choose to focus upon the incredible peace that God provides and, and let that peace rule in our hearts. Or we can choose to focus upon the storm that's going on. That's our choice. Either way, we're on our way to glory because we're in Christ. The choice is ours which one we're going to focus upon and how we're going to spend the time on our journey. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at in more detail what our part is and how we can allow that peace that God promises to rule in our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, first of all, we want to thank you for the promise of your peace. That this peace surpasses all comprehension. We can't explain it fully. We can't explain it away as if it's it's just a coincidence. Lord, this is your peace that rules within us. What a tremendous testimony, Lord. Help us as we experience that peace to reflect that, to not be afraid to talk about it, to, to share with others. Peace protects us, our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord, thank you. We are prone to worry and speculate. We are prone to, to fear. So your peace rides us. And Lord, this peace is, is, is from you. It's powerful. So, God, would you work this in our lives? Thank you for it. God, I pray we would, we would be determined to do our part. And even in doing our part, you help us because your spirit works in us. So Lord, help us to understand what our part is. As we look into this text in the next few weeks, that you will work this in our lives. That you will help us to determine, to willfully choose to do our part. Thank you that we are on a journey toward glory. And you are guiding that journey. We can trust that. 
you and that's what we need. Thank you for that. And Lord, by faith, we thank you for the hardships, the difficulties we face because they cause us to be reminded that we need you. Help us turn our hearts back to you. Keep working in us, Father. 